welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We are here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk and our special Clean Round Table discussion. Right now, it's Joe Boras, Steve Hanley, and myself, Zachary Shahan. And today, we're focused on the hot news of Herbert Dies leaving Volkswagen or getting booted from Volkswagen Group. He was the CEO of Volkswagen Group and previously CEO of Volkswagen Group and the Volkswagen brand. And that's a hot topic that a lot of people are talking and thinking about. Uh, so we'll start with that. But then we'll also get to the huge topic of of Amazon and Walmart getting into electric vehicle deliveries with their own EVs. To kick off with Deese, I think Hanley, Steve Hanley, <laughs> started writing about this. Actually, I mean, we've all we've all been writing about it in small snippets for a long time because he almost got kicked out last year. And I think recently, you know, our, our episode last week was about the ID buzz and this came up. But now all of a sudden after, right after public, publishing our podcast, probably related, he was- yeah, fact, We have that kind of power. Yes. He was in fact booted from Volkswagen Group, sort of. I don't know. That's, that's a complicated thing we'll get to. But to start off, Steve, what do you think of this story? I think it illustrates something that most of us do not realize, which is the enormous- power of the Porsche and Peach families um, who absolutely have a death grip on Volkswagen group and everything connected with it. And they stay in the background, but they wield the power. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's recently that they stayed in the background, right? Because uh, Ferdinand Pieck for a long time was the CEO of Volkswagen, you know, all through the nineties and the two thousands. And he really drove that push from making a Volkswagen from an everyman's car to something that is seen as a premium brand. I mean, he was the guy who, you know, really drove for the VW Phaeton for the VW Jetta and Passat moving up market, you know, and ultimately even when he was at Porsche, he's obviously the, the grandson of Ferdinand Porsche, who he's named after, you know, he was a, a racer and an engineer and he brought, you know, uh, Audi and Lamborghini into the Volkswagen group. He pushed for Bugatti to be built. So he was very much a technological powerhouse. It wasn't until he really kind of went away that the Pieck family started to back away from management. So if anything, I think bringing Oliver Bloom on, you know, former CEO of Porsche to kind of take over the whole Volkswagen group, that's kind of a return to that tradition of Porsche having this hold over Volkswagen, don't you think? Well, can you also, I'm curious, I don't know the history as well, how much Bloom is sort of like part of the family? Because, you know, the, one of the interesting things about Deese was that he came from BMW Group. So he was like this outsider and that was sort of a, a big deal. But then it's all part of this German automotive industry, which, you know, even if they work for different companies, they have, they've even, even been busted for, for these secret, you know, meetings where they basically act as a monop as a, you know, yeah, the trust, monopoly. right? Yeah. So they act as a, a corporate trust group or antitrust, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so I is, don't is Bloom like historically like more part of the Volkswagen family? Is that a big deal, or is that not really? I don't know. I don't know that history. 
from what I read, he started as a, a trainee, like an like an intern at BMW in 1994. At Audi. Audi. Yeah, at Audi, not BMW. Right. Right. Oh, Bloom, Bloom was at Audi. Right. Uh, We're getting our German trusts yeah. <laughs> confused. <laughs> yeah, he he started at Audi in 1994, and theoretically was just you know like 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 the freshman class coming in that year of of bright new engineers all of whom could one day become ceo of <laughs> audi and volkswagen group right and but and that's real i mean that's a real aspect of german society that we don't really understand too much here in the united states that they they do take that role of internship of apprenticeship of having that mentor role very seriously so when he came into that program in 1994 you know under the it was a different ceo at that point it was i believe demel or or no i'm sorry it was uh, rupert stadler you know when he came into that role and he had access to these ceos it really was an opportunity for him to rise through the ranks and and even with the porsche family maybe taking a less active role. You know, funny enough, Ferdinand Pieck's uh, grandson is also at Ferry Auto. That's that's where the name Ferry Auto came from. That's his nickname is Ferry from Ferdinand. Huh. And we've had them, we've had them on the uh, Clean Tech Talk podcast as well. So interestingly, you know, it, that is something that is that is real. Like you, you know, we joke about it in the US that yeah, an internship is going to lead to becoming the CEO. But I think that's the path that most of these guys took to, to get to the top of BMW, Mercedes-Benz. I mean, yeah. Zach, you spent some time in Europe. Am I way off on that? No, no. And I was just, I was just thinking it's funny because, you know, among the, the class, everybody might think that they could be the CEO, but ends up, you know, one out of <laughs> one out of the whole year and not even, you know, not even every year. So it's, but it, you know, that's, that's. But you have a shot though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. No, no, like no. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I feel just, like when I was an intern at yeah. GM, there was no chance that I was ever going to be <laughs> the president of General Motors. You know what I mean? I just, I was going down the wrong path. You think that's really out of the question for for U.S. automakers? I maybe it's not. I I feel like it's a little more. Um, I I feel like you have to have a little more of a a a business legal background. Where in Germany, having that like technical background and having a little bit more time in the ground matters. I see, you know, like Alan Mullally coming in as CEO of Ford in the early part of 2000s, coming from Boeing in aerospace. You know, you see the new CEO of Volvo Cars was uh, recruited. He was the CTO from Dyson. So he was making vacuum cleaners five years ago. You know, they seem to be yeah, in the I... United States pulling from outside rather than hiring from within. Well, the German market is interesting. I don't know if one of you have written about it or someone else on our team, but you know, it's, it's we've we wrote about it for a while. Where like a third of jobs in the in Germany can be linked to the auto industry some, somehow, or some some crazy figures like this. They have so many people employed in the auto industry, and then so many supportive you know in, companies and industries supporting the the that industry as well that you know you just have it's like seven degrees of kevin bacon but it's like three degrees of you know <laughs> german automaker you know leadership whatever and i think you know that is i think that is very strong in those companies i i know what you're saying and i think it does i think we see that come across time and time again where it's like they want someone who really knows the vehicles and knows engineering and well i think it's also interesting that 
the, what you point out about the the family stepping back a bit you know like right after dieselgate like yeah we were not that involved <laughs> like, we didn't know what was happening don't come putting us in prison we like our country clubs but uh <laughs> and you know they brought in decent outsider because that's again a way of saying oh well we'll bring in someone from outside to shake things up and i think it's interesting there were a lot of people who who left and some of whom are in jail prison and Bloom, you know, was one who survived. So he ended up, you know, getting going up the ranks, getting you know, leading Porsche. So he obviously was either not linked to the scandal or really good at hiding his links to the scandal. But in any case, I mean, Porsche came out of it and they they electrified quicker than anyone else in, in the Volkswagen group. They have the highest share of, of their vehicles being have coming with a plug now. And that's been the case for years. So I think people who are who are scared oh no dies is gone they're gonna they're gonna not electrify as fast they should not be that concerned and and as somebody commented on under your article i think steve was like if if the head of audi had become the ceo then we'd be then you could hit the panic button but with bloom being the ceo it's like more of this like come on we they're still fully behind electrifying i mean how can you not be and it's just a case of you know other matters maybe they it's really Deese was not executing on his goals with software, with with China, with vehicle production, supply chain. They probably just got to the end of the line. They're like, this is, you know, this is enough new leadership. But yeah, Steve, step in. And what do do you think about all these all these matters? I thought it was curious that the decision to throw him overboard happened while he was in the U.S. reviewing the um, the new production facility in Chattanooga. Yeah, he just got back from the airport and he was jet lagged and fatigued. And they said, oh, uh, everybody who's still a member of the Volkswagen group, step forward. Not so fast, Herbert. But that makes sense, though, doesn't it? Like, that is such a. Yeah, it was was Shakespearean. It was so good. I thought it was funny because of his his controversial links with Elon Musk, where he kept bringing Musk in and he and he was very much like being look at tesla they're great we need to be like them and i think that probably really irritated a lot of people and so i i sort of felt like did they do it when he went to the u.s just as a kind of oh you want to go to the u.s stay there <laughs> like but but steve that's a, that's steve, a possibility yeah you go ahead keep uh what are your other thoughts on sort of this the transition you know like kind of how you see this as affecting the the ev transition under volkswagen group well the official line is that uh, these dropped the ball when it came to software. And we all know that Volkswagen has been struggling mightily to do what Tesla has done, which is to make computers on wheels that work. And Some of Vol- that is self-inflicted though. Like, so, you know, I, I'm very close with Matt Teske over at Chargeway and, and I don't know how much of this he would like to get into, but I mean, a lot of OEMs, not just Volkswagen, Volkswagen, but you know, BMW, Porsche, Jaguar have looked at what Chargeway is doing. And Steve, you, you've covered them before. You understand like the colors and numbers and the trip planning and things like that. And they've looked at it very closely, but they've chosen not to license it. And one of the comments that was made, and it wasn't made by Volkswagen, I won't disclose kind of who said this to me, but it, it was something that was, I think, speaks to Volkswagen's issue, which was, you know, yeah, it's a great idea. And there's a lot of great software out there. But if we bring on an outside company, then we have to justify why we have 30 or 40 people in our software department. And, you know, they're motivated 
to keep their, you know, their direct reporting number high and they're motivated to keep their own people employed. And I wonder how much of that idea that we're going to do it ourselves or we can do it just as good, if not better than anyone else. I wonder how much of that is holding them back when there are really good solutions out there from Google, from Chargeway, from, you know, a, a better charging app. You know, there are other features and benefits to going even with Apple and letting them develop that ecosystem instead of trying to reinvent the wheel for Ford, Chevy, Volkswagen, Porsche, Audi. You know what I mean? Well, I think that's always been a component of the automotive industry for a long time uh, in Detroit. They had this, what came to be known as the not invented here syndrome. Oh, Ford is doing this. Well, we're GM and it, that, that we didn't think of it. And so we're not going to do that just because it might be better and cheaper and smarter. Uh-uh, it wasn't invented here. We don't want anything to do with it. You're absolutely right. And I think let's, let's get down to the, to the basics. For the last 120 years or so, for, or so, the defining element of an automobile was the engine. It is the reason why I was always in love with Jaguars, because they had that gorgeous dual overhead cam straight six engine. People were smooth, buttery, smooth car. You could just put the, you know, put your drink on the hood of the XJS and rev it. And it was smooth and silk. Yeah. And absolutely. BMW for years made engines that were just jewels, just marvels of engineering that were so incredibly uh, put together and engineered. And it, it, when they talked about the ultimate driving machine, it starts with the engine. Well, we don't have engines anymore. We have these little tiny things called electric motors that are hidden away someplace. You can't even open the hood and look at them anymore. So the whole notion of what is a car has changed completely. And you've got all these companies that have been wedded to the idea of we build a vehicle that is centered around the engine. And now they don't have anything like that and suddenly the world has changed and it's all about software which quite frankly tesla is is primarily responsible for and they you know in germany the to be an engineer in germany is a little bit to be a little bit closer to god that's so true yes well i had a colleague who still uh, does a, a blog post in germany called ecomento and uh, when the diesel cheating scandal broke and it was revealed that Martin Vintercorn was involved in that. He said there was like a pall descended on the whole German nation because Vintercorn was like, like a god to them. He was the engineer of all engineers. And to, for him to be caught up in that was, was an embarrassment. It was a, a shame, a stain on the whole German nation in a way that it wouldn't be in the United States. Yeah, well, it's funny bringing it to this story. I believe Wintercorn and Peak had huge headbutting and if I recall correctly, like that was like a kind of Peak getting the last laugh, is if I understood correctly, if I remember correctly, the the story. Plus, a lot of this is rumored, you know, but it but it was kind of like this kind of power struggle, and one would be on top and then the other, and then this was like, aha, this is how I toss you off the cliff. But in well, this he case, testified. Piek testified in Wintercourt's trial. What did he testify there? I don't remember, but I, I remember the headline. It was like, you know, Piek testifies in Wintercorn probe and like did not 
exactly speak highly of him but yeah uh, I, I don't i don't know the exact words but well yeah it was, it was like we're gonna get this guy finally yeah, yeah. Well, i mean i just remember reading stuff about that not knowing their history and all that i just remember that kind of story and and it brings to my, like the dece thing right now you can some are saying it's software it's you know production whatever others others have written that is basically like a personality clash like people just got tired of his style of communication and and the way yeah. he would just like blurt out you know solutions or or like i guess there was a recent request from audi and porsche i think to customize software for them and he was just like yeah we're not doing that in a meeting and it was like that was a meeting right before they they then held a, a private meeting and booted him or something like that but I don't know, you know, it's not clear, nobody knows really, but there is some word that maybe it's just people got sick of his personality, the way he was different from what they would like as a, for the CEO. But when you, you know, so, so Bloom is sort of like, you know, the perfect company man, it sounds like who's just gonna, you know, be the, the stereotypical CEO. And I'm but, not but sure if that's good that or bad. I'm not sure that's, think good that's or... different. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about you know, as to Steve's point, what makes a car feel different now, today, in 2022 forward, is the software. And it is important for an Audi to feel different from a Volkswagen. It is important for a Porsche to feel different from a Volkswagen. And without being able to do it with the engine, all that's left is the software. And if the guy on top of your organization doesn't understand that for whatever reason, or doesn't agree that these things should all have their own software, at least. I, I I don't disagree. It's time for that guy to go. I actually had not thought about that, but I think that's an extremely important good point. You know, I was just thinking about the personality style and communication thing, but I think you're I think you you're really right. And maybe that was more of a practical, like, hey, this guy doesn't get it. It needs to be different. I don't know. Nobody knows, but outside yeah. of that small group. But I do think the you know, you need someone who's going to, who really can lead a software development team. And I'm not really sure an old, an old Audi, Porsche, Volkswagen guy is the person for that. I feel like you need a young, you need younger blood for this. But at the same time, who was it? I think Ben, Ben Schultz, our German colleague was saying, you don't need to understand it. You just need to learn. You just need to, to know how to lead the team to make it what you want. And this is sort of what Steve Jobs was infamous for or famous for, depending on how you look at it, is, you know, people say, a lot of people have said that he didn't really know how to do the stuff like was or someone, he just right. was very demanding that he wanted it to be like perfect for the user. And, and all the people who said, Oh, you can't do that. It's too hard. It was like, okay, well, I'll get someone else who would do it. And until he's got what he wanted and it was like you don't really have to be able to do it. you just have to be a hard ass who says do this or else and that's sort of what elon musk is famous for i mean he's he's or infamous for depending on how you look at it again he, he sort of says i want this no matter what and he can go through 10 people who say you can't do it until he gets to someone who, who does it or tries to do it at least and sometimes yeah. that leads to years of something not happening because it's not possible <laughs> or but isn't you... that one of the good things about him like if, if you look yeah. at it from the point of view of like like i am the first person to go wait a minute maybe elon's not a good guy right like i i don't i never believed that he believed the mission and i i've always criticized the guy you know but that said if i'm starting a car company tomorrow and i get to pick my ceo it's gonna be musk 
in a second because he does not believe that something is impossible. He will throw bodies at it. He will throw, throw brains, emotions, goodwill, money, whatever he can. He is going to throw at this idea until it happens. And he does not take, we can't do that for an answer. And, and I think what happened here is you had a guy like Deese saying, it's going to be too expensive. It's going to be too impractical. It's going to take too long for everybody to have their own software. Like, okay, well then you you are the problem. You are the bottleneck and you're the one who needs to go. No, I agree. And I think that that's Ben's point. That's really good. Like if, if Bloom can be that person who just demands that it be some software that's really good for even a, a 70 year old or 80, you know, who's like, you know, not going to, be excited to, you know, figure out the tech or is not isn't on Twitch every day. You know, it's like, you know, like it doesn't have to be someone who grew up ten years ago and and is a is a software whiz. It just has to be someone who's really good at managing and demanding that the results be really good. And I think we don't know. Maybe Bloom is that person. We do know that Porsche did an exceptional job of electrifying quickly. So, I mean. It's it leads the auto industry in general for a share of plug-in vehicle. I mean, that's a different story too because it's you know premium sporty brands, so they have the 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 margin and stuff to do that. But Steve, do you want to jump in on the management side of things? And I'm sure you have some thoughts on that. Well, it makes me wonder whether or not Deese and Musk would be able to work well together if they're both my way or the highway kind of guys. Somebody is going to have to yield. And neither one of them is particularly good at doing that. I'm sort of thinking back when Ferdinand Piech, and I don't know how to pronounce his last name correctly. Yeah, it's usually pronounced Piech, is from what I've seen. But what I was going to say was that Bob Lutz once told a story of how he had a conversation with Ferdinand and said, how do you get the shut lines, the, the cut lines on the bodies of your Volkswagen cars to be so much better than anybody else in the industry? And Ferdinand said, I fire anybody who won't do it or can't get it done personally. And I have no, no factual basis for this, but I think he was probably the one who was in the background pushing Volkswagen. It was, he was the one who said, we are going to build diesel engines and we're not going to use any of that additive stuff. You know, the ad blue that everybody else is using, we're going to do it. And he kept going through engineers trying to find somebody who could make it happen. And he kept firing people. And eventually the only way they could satisfy him was to cheat. Yeah, I have, so, the same, I, say, I have the same hunch. And I sort of think that's also why they got so much more in the background because they didn't want, they knew the risk of being tied to it. <laughs> that's my, my, my guess, you know. Yeah, there, there were a number of people. There was somebody who was a top engineer at Volkswagen. It was just three days after the diesel gate broke just disappeared. He was the one who designed the toolkit that they used for the Golf and the Passat and the Jetta. And then he just evaporated. No one ever heard from him before or afterwards and haven't for the last five years. I wish I could think of his name, but he was a brilliant engineer. He was highly regarded. And then he was just vapor. He's never yeah. been found. So he's just on an island somewhere, just retired. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe avoiding the police. I don't know. Uh, they, they dissolved him in a Fanta factory. He's, uh, he's in the orange soda now. I just found a Forbes article from 2017 about Piek supposedly telling German prosecutors that he had discussed the Dieselgate problem with Winterkorn as early as 2015 and that he was trying to get it fixed and that part of the reason for him getting booted out 
was that uh, they didn't want to listen to him. So he's apparently claiming that uh, at the time, <laughs> yeah, he's the good guy. And Wintercorn was the guy who pushed all this through. Yeah, yeah, he's good at. Wow, I, mean, I, I know I do not doubt his uh, his ability to run a, a large corporation. I um, think that is duplicitous, but that's just my opinion. I it does not track with my personal experience of Piek, but you know what? May I will say this: having having interacted with his his you know grandchildren and and their mission to electrify things and bring affordability and accessibility to electrified transportation to the masses here in the US and Canada. Maybe that's true. Who knows? Because remember, Piak is also the guy that made the XL1 supercar, that 100 mile per gallon uh, or, or 100, you know, 100 kilometers per diesel engine one, super one, ultralight car. One liter per 100 kilometers. That's what it was. Yeah. So, I mean, like he does have some background in efficiency you know, he was in, involved in the uh, some of the diesel streamliners like the C11. You know, he he was part of the Can-Am race and the Le Mans hybrid programs as, as an engineer as well as a CEO. So it doesn't track like it doesn't it doesn't pass the sniff test. But maybe I don't know. You know, <laughs> like Bono is always doing the you know the guy from U2 is always doing a lot of charitable work, but still seems like he's really awful. So maybe it's one of those scenarios where the guy just seems terrible, but he's actually well, probably okay. I mean, I would agree with Steve. I think him, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, they're the kind of people you want running a large corporation because of their demanding. Uh, you don't want to be maybe in a restaurant debate with them about something because yeah. you end up wanting to You don't to want them up. to run your condos homeowners association. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But but you definitely I mean, you can you, you expect results. And I so that, I think that's my takeaway point on the Volkswagen is, are we going to see more results on the electrification of the of the group? And my personal take is that with any change up, you're under a lot of pressure to show results. And you come with new ideas and maybe things that you've been that's been driving you nuts that you would change. And, you know, maybe all of that together, Bloom will find ways to make the the, organ, the company more more streamlined, more efficient, and ramp up faster. He's done it at Porsche quite well. So I think I think overall, I would accept an acceleration. It's, there's also the kind of, you know, maybe Deese already did all the hard work. And, he, and now someone just has to step in and bear the, you know, get collect the fruits and, you know, claim the claim that all the all of the growth is is due to their brilliant ideas so i i have another take on this that, that and I'm, I'm really curious to get your and steve's take on this i i think that you know we, we did this podcast episode with the guy from phil from snow lake lithium who, who has become a friend of mine he's a really good cat and he is you know he is adamant that no matter how much lithium we pull out of the ground we're not going to be able to make as many electric cars as we can currently make internal combustion cars, like the, the amount of materials is not there to make to continue at this rate of vehicle production. So I'm, I'm just, looking at this. I'm just going to pause ahead. you for a second just to say that every battery mineral expert we've talked to says the same thing. Like the, everyone seems to be in agreement on that. And, and even Musk has said similar things like there yeah. just isn't enough mining and processing. There, there's not. And it, it's, you know, and he's looking at it from a availability of the element. Like we need to have a different architecture of battery it has to be iron, has to be silicon, has to be something that is available rather than this. But that's a different conversation. But 
assume that all that is correct and true and that that's the technology that we have. We're just going to assume that. If you are a major company and you own a Volkswagen brand, an Audi brand, a Lamborghini brand, and a Porsche brand, and or like, let's say, let's just leave, make it simple, Volkswagen and Porsche. You have a Volkswagen and a Porsche brand. And you have enough material to make 10 batteries. And you know that you'll be able to sell all 10 of whatever you make. You'll be able to sell it as a Volkswagen, as a Porsche, as some mix of the two. I think that it's it's a corporation that exists to make money and that has a fiduciary duty to its shareholders. They're going to use those 10 batteries in the 10 most profitable vehicles they can. And it's not going to be 10 Volkswagens. It's going to be 10 Porsches or 10 Bentleys or 10 Lamborghinis. So I think that if you're looking down the road 5, 10, 15 years from now, what a true e you know, what a true electric car automotive industry looks like. You're looking at those premium brands, not because those are, you know, not because of that's where the customers are or that's where the, or, or that's where the, the people are going to be, but just because you're, you're limited by how many cars you can build. So you're going to try to sell as many high-end cars and maximize your profit as you can. There's, you know, you don't care about the market for $25,000 EVs because you can sell a $50,000 EV and make that extra margin. You know what I'm saying? So I think having somebody who is going to put Porsche's interests, who's going to put Bentley's interests, who's going to put Audi's interests ahead of Volkswagen's, even if the name of the group is VW, but they're going to put the interests of the premium brands ahead of the interests and resources that are allocated to the mainstream brand. I think that's what's going to keep that company alive in 20 years. Steve, final thoughts on Volkswagen? I, I was just processing what, what Joe has to, had, had to say. And I think you're absolutely right, Joe. Uh, that is unfortunately not good news for the EV revolution, however. No, but I mean, <laughs> no, it's not good news. I mean, for the we EV we revolution. get cars like the $300,000 Cadillac Celestique, which uh, <laughs> I was lo- looking at some of the comments to that story. And, and it, people are not blown away by this car. They basically think it's a silly exercise in, in uh, self-promotion. And I have to agree. And they're sold out. Well, of course, but I, I just come back to the difference between the cars that are electric and the cars that we all grew up with. Geez, I was a car nut, but uh, I, it was all about the engine. It was all about, oh my God, somebody has a five-speed transmission. Yeah. All about the mechanics. Exactly right. I, I'm unclear what is going to define brands of electric cars in the future. How do you... How do you separate one from the other? They're all just computers on wheels. I'm looking at my laptop. My laptop is made by Acer, but it could be made by Dell or it could be made by anybody. And and frankly, they're they're interchangeable and there's very little that distinguishes one from the other. And I think cars are going to go the same way. I just, I think... The, big, the best example is BMW, and they apparently have decided the only way to compete is to make the grill on the front of their car bigger than anybody else's, which is just, <laughs> which is just stupid. An electric car doesn't need a grill, and yet they have these things that look like uh, gonads from a T-Rex, 
And uh, people are loving it. They're like, oh, it's a BMW. Well, yeah, but what is it? It's just it's just uh, some battery cells and an electric motor. And, and I, uh, it's no different than anybody else's electric car. But you know what, though? We, so we were on this topic before, right? We touched on this a little bit when we talked about what makes a Volkswagen different from an Audi. Why is an Audi TT, why does that drive and feel differently from a Volkswagen New Beetle when they both share the same platform, the same hard pieces? And the answer had always been tuning. It was suspension tuning. It was brake bias. It was the rate of power steering or the level of power steering assist. And I think all of that is going to come into play. And where you really want to look at that, the people that are going to really get this right are going to be Sony and Honda. Sony has for 20 years, they have been doing the Gran Turismo video game series. And when you play that, you can feel through these buttons and levers there is a difference between a Chevy Camaro or a Porsche 911 there. You, you kind of, it's a hard thing to say that you feel, but you feel different when you're playing the game. When you choose these different cars, they react differently. They turn differently. And some of them suit the way that you want to get around a track or, or your driving style. And some of them don't. Some people like one car. Some people don't like that car. Some people are faster with one car than another guy with another car. And that's what makes that game so fun to play. Sony that's not only has been doing that for 20 years, but they have all the data from all of the manufacturers that have licensed their engineering data and their haptic feedback and their audio responses to that game for the last two and a half decades. And now that they are coming into the car market, they have already said, we are going to deliver a car that is going to be what you want it to be. If you get in that car and you want to give it that muscle car vibe, that you know instant kick out of the tail, that power drift, you're going to get that. And if you want that smooth, easy predictability of like a Toyota Camry or Honda Accord, we can give you that too. And it's going to be all with the software. So I think that you're right in saying that it's going to be differentiated by software, but I don't think it's going to be this horrible bland dystopia that you think it is. I think it's going to mean that I'm going to be able to get into any car at Hertz rental car and drive out with a Porsche 911 or a Ford minivan, depending on what I want that car to drive like. And it's going to be set and tuned perfect for me, no matter where I am in the country. As soon as it connects to my phone, it's going to turn into the car that I want it to be. And I think that's incredible. And even though Joe wants the Porsche, we know he's driving out with the minivan. But anyway. <laughs> it's a Volvo XC90, baby. Okay. I was not aware of that regarding Gran Turismo. I mean, I played it like the first editions a long time ago. And But Sony, this is one of the companies I've been most excited about bringing an electric car to market. I think even when I wasn't writing much, when there was the news each, each year at CES, there's this news of Sony you know, moving forward with this idea, or when they first launched the idea, and I was like, I have to write about this, this is big, you know, and I really, it's always hard to tell, like Apple's been rumored for years, and they're not doing anything, it seems, but, but I, I really, you get the sense Sony's going to do something, and with your intro, you get, I mean, that was a really good intro for Sony, so I think uh, that's exciting. Sony um, PR guys, give me a call, baby. Yeah, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I really hope that what you just made me think is 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 uh, what's going to be real, real because that's 
that's quite impressive and i would just say on the on the software too that's also te- i mean tesla puts more power and size in the s and the x but also what you get when you get a s or x is you get more advanced faster bigger hardware for the infotainment and you know the, you, you get better inf- infotainment and that's you know notable and i think the premium cars are always going to have more advanced uh, infotainment as well which is going to stand out but we've we've uh, we've spent a long time talking about Volkswagen and we were supposed to talk about two topics today i thought this might happen but we're going to we're going to continue the conversation but it's going to be a se- separate episode a separate podcast that we'll publish a few days later so for now if you are enjoying our conversations on clean tech talk please remember to Give us a thumbs up on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple iTunes, and you know, like us, comment wherever you listen, and we can keep bringing you more fun podcasts about clean tech news. So we're going to continue our discussion, getting into Walmart and Canoe, Rivian and Amazon, but that's going to be published a little bit later. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Walk, 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 walk,